What are the secrets of those extraordinary individuals that have achieved extraordinary success? Listen to their stories, discover their knowledge bursts, make those connections. Get ready. It's time to start moving forward. John Lim here, and we're moving forward today with Dan Raff. Dan is an entrepreneur in the digital and social media space, and as he describes it, he's in the thick of it. He's building his business, and he's going to share with you his extraordinary story, including the obstacles that he's overcome to start building a new life. Welcome, Dan. How are you today? Good. How are you doing, John? Oh, doing great. It is great to have you on the show. I mean, we connected through a mutual friend, Leonard Kim, and you have such an interesting story and one that uh, I know that our Moving Forward listeners are going to get a lot out of. So I only touched a little bit uh, on the intro. And in particular, I really want you to share your story with our listeners. So tell us a little bit about yourself and share a little of your journey, both career and life-wise, with our listeners. Okay. Um yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a little different than what a lot of people talk about. Um, I guess I really like Leonard's intro. Uh, it was probably the best intro email because normally it's, you know, Dan meet so-and-so, so-and-so meet yeah. Dan. And Leonard sends the intro as, uh, you know, bank robber wants to go on your podcast. So I think that was kind of neat. Um, and that kind of yeah, it was certainly an email I did, I, I did not expect to get on a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and it's also you know I, I, I've I just started my my own business, and you know I, I've experienced a pretty steep learning curve in this industry uh, with digital marketing. But yeah. in addition to that, my my SEO isn't the best, and you know I've got a pretty strong criminal history. Um, you know, back in 2010, I was I was at a rock bottom in my life, and I I made the decision that you know I, I was going to cross the line officially, and, and I ended up robbing a couple banks over a few months period, mm-hmm. and uh, you know after that I I, I did some time. Uh, I did about four years in prison, and the last two years I was in a fire camp. But, um, you know, I, I was able to learn a lot, but getting out, um, there was, I don't know. I just had a lot of goals and ambition mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's an interesting thing because I, I've always been ambitious and I, I think my ambitiousness in my early twenties was what kind of led me to a self, uh, to a level of entitlement and well, talk about that, Dan. I mean, kind of what was your early journey like? I mean, what was your life like kind of growing up? What were some of your early experiences? You know, I, I started college when I was 16 years old. Um, Oh, wow. So I never graduated college, but I started it when I yeah. was 16 and you know, I, I was always used to, being able to do things uh, fairly easily without too much work. So, you know, I, I never got like straight A's, but I was able to get like A's and B's uh, with very little effort. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was used to being, I guess, the smartest, not the smartest kid in the room, but the, the one that could kind of get by with a lot of stuff. And then uh, when I was 21, I got into real estate. I became a realtor. I was the youngest one out of like 700 agents for a high end agency in mm-hmm. Southern California. And, um, 
you know, I learned that uh, putting on a suit and driving a nice car does not sell houses. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot more uh, to it than just showing up to the office and smiling and and being a smart guy. Yeah. And uh, so you know, I wasn't very successful at that, but I survived two years uh, doing rentals, and then from that I got into sales. So, you know, by that time I dropped out of college. I was uh, selling copiers and doing some other things. And um, also, I think I mentioned the email that I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. And I think it was during the, uh, from the end of my real estate career to getting into copier sales and uh, different phone sales that my uh, drinking got pretty heavy. Uh, that with, I also discovered, um, you know, pills too. Uh, you know, I, I went to a psychiatrist and he gave me uh, what I'd call the the sexy cousin to Xanax. It was Klonopin. And, uh, you know, that solved a lot of my problems immediately. So um, I, I, I really kind of shifted my uh, career from trying to get rich doing this stuff to um, trying to maintain a, a life of being like a you know, an alcoholic and addict, but maintaining a facade of somebody that is young and ambitious and, and successful, even though I was really kind of falling apart. Yeah. Um, you know, and then fast forward from that to 2010, I was, you know, kind of living in some shady places, uh, you know, some weird sober living home that, that was, there was no sobriety there. <laughs> and, um, ended up kind of at, at, a, at a new rock bottom. Oh, and during that time, I also had two DUIs. So, um, you know, I, it was kind of a mess. And, um, you know, I guess it was in January 2010, I, I, I hit a point where I didn't have any money for rent, um, couldn't even get a room. I was, my rent was coming up and, um, I was just fed up with everything and it, and I was having suicidal thoughts, but I didn't have the, uh, I guess, internal mechanisms to follow through with something like that. And I guess my next best decision making <laughs> thing was, well, you know, might as well get your money and, uh, and get what you have coming to you because I, I, I felt like the world really deserved or owed me something. I felt like I deserved a lot, uh, based on my hard work before, which, you know, is, is not the case. And I, 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 I learned a little bit about bank robbery. I, I read a book that, you know, this guy explained all these different types and one was, you know, you walk in with a note and, um, they give you money and you walk out. And I, I figured at the time I justified it as a victimless crime and I hated banks because I was always getting overdraws and overdraft fees. So I thought, well, I'll just get my money back that they took from me. And I, I went in and I I was able to get uh, some money, not as much as most people think, you know, you know, get a couple grand out of it. And uh, but it worked and it was fun and it was exhilarating. And I felt like I. Uh, you know, I, I, I've always been the, uh, my, my friends used to call me nicknames like, uh, you know, little bitch or something like that. I've, I've always been kind of like 
the geek and the nerd of my my friends and I, I felt like this was like the ballsiest thing I could do to establish myself as a man, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um and it and it felt really good at the time. Um and then after I realized that I did that, I, I was terrified. Um in fact in some of the in some of the uh the photos of me in the bank, um it looks like I'm whistling uh as I walk out and I'm actually just trying to breathe because mm-hmm. I, I do have anxiety. And, um, you know, that's not the best, you know, career choice when you have an anxiety disorder, uh, bank robbery. It's just, you know, it doesn't really make sense. So I was kind of crazy all around. Yeah. Not that it would make sense otherwise, but that probably compounds that even more. But Dan, I mean, here you were, you went to college at 16. Obviously you were really bright. You were very gifted. I mean, that's, it's not everyone who can say they did that. And then, I mean, was there any point in which you're thinking, man, how, how did it come to this? How did I get from, you know, going to college at 16? Uh, and, you know, you've, you've obviously done a lot of different things working in real estate and, uh, you know, sales. And so, you know, you were obviously a scrapper, you know, and that's something that's, that's an admirable quality to just try different things. Like, what, you know, was there a point in which you, you thought to yourself, I mean, what am I doing? It was not not at the bank robbery point mm-hmm. i think that that was pretty clear that i i just felt like of of all the things i had going for me you know uh nothing was working out you know yeah. i i was used to and and there was that sense of entitlement again so you know i don't think that you know going to college at 16 was you know, great because I always thought I was smarter than my teachers. So I was like, oh, well, at least these people have doctorates and they, they really understand the material. But, um, I was always kind of a a prideful creature and, um, you know, being the youngest realtor and, and doing these things and having all that pride built up. But, uh, you know, mixing that with all this, like X, you know, this failure that keeps getting thrown in my face and, um, you know, it just wasn't the best combination for, for me. And, you know, I don't think I was just at the right mindset. And and obviously I didn't have like those moral filters that the rest of society tends to have. Um, so it was just a, you know, it was a combination of entitlement and, and personal expectations and, and expecting that the world owes me something. So I wasn't, and then when I got arrested, I mean, it was really the way I looked at it is I looked well, Dan, at it like before, I was, before we get to that. So like, you, you know, how many banks did you end up robbing? I mean, you, so you, you mentioned like you had that first one and to you, it felt like this exciting rush. And then what did you do after that? I mean, did you decide, well, I'm, I'm just going to continue with this. Uh, so what was what happened next? Th- that was uh I, I ended up successfully getting money from two banks, and I, I hit three, I guess. Um, I was never caught at the scene, but I, I am you know a nice, nonviolent person. So um, and it, I mean, even during the, the trial, uh, they testified that I was polite, so I guess I have that going for me. But um, you know I, the first one I, I got money from. That was in the end of January, and then uh, I spent it over just under two months. I I spent it was uh, forty eight hundred dollars, and then um, 
I decided, well, I need to make money again. So I went to another one and she just blatantly said no, um, you know, after passing the note. And I'm like, no, you're supposed to give me the money. Like that's the rules. And, uh, she didn't. So, you know, there's normally a time frame that you need to be in and out because they always hit the, it's, it's their job to hit the button and there's security buttons all over. I, I'm not a, you know, bank person, but I know they have those. So, uh, you know, my time was coming up. So I, I just walked out of that one and then I hit another one about a week later and I was able to get a little money, a little bit of money out of there. But, um, but then I was arrested like a few days later. So it worked out, you know, I didn't get to spend all the money, but I had a place to stay at least when I got arrested. So Wow. I mean, what was that? What was going through your mind when you got caught and you got arrested? When I got arrested, it was such a relief. I was so glad it was over. Um, I, during the, the two months that I was like, thought I was John Dillinger, which I was, I I didn't even have a gun. Like nobody's going to sell somebody like me a gun because I look like a total dweeb. Um, you know, so any, any real like criminals out there are going to be like, no, this guy's an undercover cop. So I wasn't like a badass bank robber. I was just some nerd with, you know, an index card with some instructions on it. Um, but I, I was during those two months, I was, I was absolutely terrified. Like I thought I was a lot bigger than I was. So I, I thought the secret service was after me. I thought the FBI was after me. And, you know, really what, what they do in that case, I think is like, it's, first of all, there's, it's nonviolent, but it's a serious crime. So they're like, all right, the guy's not like, doesn't have a gun. So we don't really need to put priority on it. And generally with a crime like that, it, it, you know, you start seeing patterns where they continue, uh, committing that crime. And, and I definitely fell into that where I was on my way to becoming a serial bank robber. So it was just like, we'll just give this guy enough rope to hang himself because there's something that's going to happen where he's going to trip himself up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, naturally that happened. And, um, so when I was arrested, it was, I was just glad it was over because I, uh, you know, I, I was telling people that I was a sales consultant and doing all this stuff. And that's how I had this money. And it wasn't even that much money, but you know, I, I was playing the part that I was like on my way to success. And really I was just like committing serious felonies. So, um, you know, being able to take that mask off and, and breathe, was a complete relief. And, you know, jail is the cost of doing business if you're going to commit crimes like yeah. that. And I completely understood that and I completely accepted that. So that wasn't an issue for me. It was just like, I'm glad I didn't get hurt. I'm glad nobody else got hurt. And I was so glad it was over. And, you know, well, Dan, I mean, uh, it's, you know, and, and I have to ask, is this the, the first uh, time that you're really kind of speaking about this? Yes. Wow. I mean, there, there's some, if you Google my name, you'll definitely see like, you know, guy robs banks and thousand oaks and stuff like that. But, uh, this wasn't the way I really wanted to brand myself right. when I decided right. to start my own business and, sure. and, you know, get back on the streets and yeah. try to do well. But it, it's, it's a part of my story and, and it's, and it's interesting. And, you know, I'm hoping that someday, uh, other people could benefit from it too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Dan, well talk a little bit about, uh, and on moving forward, we talk a lot about, you know, pivot points, you know, that, that point in which you hit rock bottom. And for you, I mean, 
I think of <clears throat> probably of all the guests that we've had, I mean, I can't think of a, a more rock bottom point. I mean, you were in prison and, um, you know, you've said you, you felt this sense of relief. So talk about, you know, and I know from the uh, intro email, you went through quite a transformation during your time in prison. So could you share a little bit of that with uh, moving forward listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, prison was, was great for me. I, I think the thing about prison is it's not really a real rehabilitation thing, at least the California system. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, if you choose to rehabilitate yourself, it's a great opportunity to do so. But if you're just going there to do your time and get back out and do the same things you've been doing over and over again, um, you're not going to recover from whatever your, you know, your criminal behavior. So it, it was an eye opener. First of all, I think my first culture shock, because I've, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy. I grew up in the suburbs. Um, you know, I, I, I've always, you know, it was the first time in my life that I was a minority and that was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, but also I think the biggest culture shock to me was realizing that none of these, the majority of these, these men I lived with, uh, didn't graduate from high school. Yeah. And I, you know, to somebody like me, I'm like, isn't that illegal? Like you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to finish high school at least like that's the rules to life. And, I didn't understand that. And then I, I started seeing different correlations and I started learning like the, the gang members and, you know, talking to them and kind of learning these, these things. And, you know, they, they just, they grew up in a different environment and they made what seemed like good decisions at the time. And then obviously um, for them again, jail and, and all of that was the cost of doing business. But, um, that that's where I realized, you know, that, that it, it is a decision and, you know, I, I just figured I was going to do the whole mind, body, spirit thing. I mean, it's, it's a great place. You have a lot of time, you have a lot of resources, different books. Um, you know, I, I got into calisthenics, which I still do today and, um, just started developing new habits. You know, I, I bonded with my family. I, I really, did a lot of Sudoku and uh, crossword puzzles. Yeah, keep mind busy. And um, but reading, writing, working out, um, you know, getting the whole spiritual thing. My my last year in prison, I, um, you know, because I mentioned I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict, and um, you know, I was introduced to the AA program in my last year, and um, that. That I think helped me a lot because my last year getting out, I was I was getting pretty nervous because I knew I was going to get out of prison and I knew I had all of these things going for me. Uh, like I was the only guy in there that knew how to write resumes and I would write other people resumes. Yeah, and actually but, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. But before we get to that, something that you hit on, which I think is very powerful, especially for moving forward listeners, when you share that prison is not designed or it's not necessarily an environment that uh, encourages rehabilitation. It's a choice. And you made that choice. So Dan, when, when did that, you know, uh, decision come to you? When did you decide I am 
going to do something different. I don't want to end up here again. I don't want to repeat the same things that I did, you know, when I get out of prison and end up returning. What, was there a particular moment in which you made that realization and you made that decision? I think it was maybe in my second or third year in there. It wasn't when the handcuffs were slapped on me. Um, you know, it, it took some time because I, I was still kind of enamored with like the criminal lifestyle. And, and I, I really thought going in there, I was going to learn how to become a better criminal. Oh, interesting. And, okay. um, and I didn't, I mean, these guys were just a bunch of, you know, crazy drug addicts. Like, yeah. nothing, like I didn't meet any mafia people in there. I was really disappointed. Uh, originally it was just a bunch of dick jokes. Um, you know, imagine living in uh, middle school again, but with like full grown men and tattoos, missing teeth, it, it was really disappointing. And, um, and from that, I realized, you know, maybe, maybe this isn't all, you know, this isn't badass at all. This is pretty lame. Um, maybe I should do something better. And so I, I don't think there was ever a moment of clarity, clarity. It was more of just, you know, consuming knowledge. I, I, I'm a big book person and, and, you know, anything, any kind of seeds you plant in a fertile mind, you know, that's what you're going to, uh, I guess grow. And, um, and I started just putting the right stuff in my mind. I stopped reading like true crime books and all of that. And I got into like, uh, you know, classic literature and poetry, uh, a lot of nonfiction, um, some spiritual stuff. And I, th I think that was just like a slow transition where, where I started gravitating towards things that helped me, uh, you know, want to be a better person. Yeah. And then talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned, uh, as you were making that decision and as you were getting to know, uh, you know, the people in the prison population, I mean, you were helping them with resumes. I mean, obviously, uh, from what you had talked about before, I mean, you were one of the few people who had education beyond high school. So was that, I mean, how did that come about? What was, uh, you know, what was that like for you just being able to help others and kind of, you know, how did that begin? How did that start, you know, you helping, um, other inmates with their resumes and things like that? That was, it was a really good experience that I, I think I started when I was in County jail, uh, because there we had a law library and I knew how to like, you know, research for people. So I, I started kind of helping people with their cases, but also I would write a lot of letters to judges for people because they would want me you know, a lot of these guys are, you know, that they have kids and, and wives and, and some of the stuff they've done is, you know, maybe not that bad on the surface, but they're looking at a lot more time because of like previous crimes, because they have strikes or, you know, the, the things. So, you know, now, now their sentences are potentially going to be doubled up with extra years added. So, um, you know, I, I started writing letters on, on their behalf to the judges and, um, some actually got some reduced sentences, which was, it was, it was a nice feeling. And then, um, and that just continued. Uh, when I got to fire camp, my last two years I was there, I did a lot more, uh, resume writing because at, at fire camp. Can you camp, explain to our listeners what fire camp is? Yes. Sorry about that. Uh, fire camp's basically a minimum security prison. Um, you, I was trained to be a wildland firefighter. So when oh, there's okay. a forest fire, um, at least in California, if there's a forest fire, uh, most of those, if they're put out by humans, those are 
the majority are inmates um, or hot shots, which are non-inmates. But um, inmates are a lot cheaper. Uh, we're cheaper than machinery. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you have an option to send a hand crew or a bulldozer, we'll, we'll send a, a fire crew out there and, and so get it, those. Was this guys. something you were trained to do uh, while you were in prison or is this something that you yes. learned before? Okay. It was something, uh, I, that was like my ultimate goal is to get to fire camp. And, um, so I did a year on a fire crew. I logged about 1200 hours and, um, during during that time, it, it, that, and it's a great place if you have to get locked up. I mean, they're, they feed you well, uh, minimum security. Um, there's no gates or anything like that. Uh, the cops don't have guns pointed at you or anything. It, it's, it's a very uh, laid-back environment. All the inmates there um, tend to be in the higher class of inmates because they have to take certain courses to get in there. So, um, and even there, uh, I did a calculation with somebody else and, and the average, uh, score based on these tests these guys took was about 8.5, which meant that like most of them dropped out halfway through eighth grade mm-hmm. at their education level. And, uh, and, and that's the, you know, the tippy top of the, uh, you know, that's the cream of the crop for inmates is, you know, just under ninth grade, um, levels so but but fire camp was a great place to um you know it, it was still pretty crappy yeah, <laughs> because sure. you're locked up I mean, at this prison. point dan kind of what's going through your mind are you thinking about uh, i mean you've obviously made some decisions uh to kind of change your thinking and you've you've started developing better habits like were you giving any thought to you know what you wanted your life to look like after prison yeah, I um, I set some pretty concrete goals, and uh, you know they're all pretty materialistic, and I haven't achieved all of them. But like my my first thing, my last year in camp, I was a clerk, so I was actually working in an office. Uh, my year before that, I was on the fire crew, so I was like the personal assistant to the chief, and I learned very quickly. I enjoyed being in an air conditioned office more than I do uh, doing manual labor in a hundred degree heat. So you know, that's where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be an office person again. And then, um, from that, I, um, decided I'd get back into copier sales because that was, um, you know, a practical, like, you know, it was just a practical job. I knew I could get a job in it with my felonies and everything like that. So I, I know I, I set those goals. And since I've gotten out, I I've been one and I, I've, you know, quit that job. But, um, Pretty much, though, I just one. I think the biggest thing for me is I, I wanted to prove a lot of people wrong, and I mean, my family believes in me, but you know, the cops and the inmates are always always joke like, "Oh, you'll be back," and this and that. And, yeah. You know. I mean, how did that feel hearing that? You know, uh, you know, I mean, you had already decided. I don't want to come back here. I'm assuming you had decided, "Hey, this, this is not for me. I don't want to come back here." You, yeah. I mean, what was that like hearing that from the inmates and the cops? It was a push in the right direction because uh, I'm extremely stubborn and I and and I've been conditioned my whole life to prove people wrong. Yeah. So, you know, it's something where I can, um, you know, I've put myself in the position to absolutely succeed. Um, 
you know, and, and it's been slower than I've expected it to be, but at the same time, it's been a good journey. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, in, in prison, they give you a score, uh, one out of five, uh, on your likelihood of coming back. And my score was a two, which is low, but that means I have a 40% chance of returning to prison just based on statistics. Um, you know, and, and that was interesting to think about too, is, um, you know, I still have a 60% chance not to go if you look at the status quo, but you know, it, it, it's a combination of what decisions am I going to make? You know, there is the factor that the fact that I've crossed that line and in criminal behavior, it's very easy to cross again. Um, you know, most people have these serious moral filters where once they never cross that line because they're, you know, it just, that's what normal people don't do. Um, so I, I, I've noticed that and, and with a lot of inmates too is, you know, it, it's, once, once you break that barrier, it's like just a matter of why should you not go down that route again? And, and I know why, uh, because, you know, committing crimes, doing any of that just doesn't make sense. It's, it's, yeah. you know, I, I'm big on, uh, writing out cost benefit analysis <laughs> right. and, you know, just, just the cost alone. I mean, even if I stole a Snickers today, I'd be looking at almost four years in prison because of my, you know, I have a strike in prison priors and all mm -hmm. these things. It's just like, why would you even do that? Um, you know, on a practicality side, aside from morals and, and the kind of person I want to be. Yeah. Well, Dan, let's talk a little bit about your, your pivot after prison. I mean, uh, you know, as, uh, you know, as I've learned a little bit, uh, from your story, I mean, that was not an easy transition. I mean, obviously going in was not easy. Your experience there was not easy, but coming out and, and trying to reshape your life. Can you share a little bit of that with our listeners and sort of what have been the challenges and what led you to taking the entrepreneurial path? And we'll get to that as well, but I, I really kind of want to hear like, and I think our listeners would, you know, what, what did you try to do after you, le you left prison and, and what were some of the challenges with that? Yeah. And it's, uh, definitely hasn't been easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, the first thing I did was I needed to get a job. So, you know, upon my release, you know, to, to get any form of stability, you need like a, a normal job. So, um, I knew I wanted to get in copier sales. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a license. I couldn't even get a license because I still had two DUIs that I never took care of. So, but uh, I knew like, well, I know, I know how to talk on the phone and I understand the industry. So I cold called every copier company within a bus distance of my, <laughs> where I was living and uh, asked them if they'd be looking to hire anybody that, you know, knows how to sell toner. And, um, and I, I got someone that, that was interested in talking to me and you know, I, I went and had an interview with him and, and he brought up the question about felonies and this is two weeks out of prison. You know, I'm, I'm really nervous and you know, in some suit that I got from, uh, that my sister bought for me from, uh, the Salvation Army and you know, and I, I don't look like I guess a bank robber or a felon or anything like that, but, um, you know, I, I have this voice in my head <laughs> telling me, you know, that you're not good enough. Um, but then I also have another voice in my head that tells me like, just do it, you know, just keep going. So I'm sitting in front of this guy and he asks, um, you know, well, do you have any felonies? And I, and I say, yes, I do. And, um, 
he's like, well, it's nothing like bank robbery or anything, so you should be fine. And I'm like, actually, that's kind of exactly what my felonies are. And, um, you know, he, he looked at me for, it seemed like an eternity. And, uh, and he proceeded with the interview and he gave me a job and he gave me a chance. And, uh, and that I think was, it it showed me that like, there are people out there that will give people chances. And did he ever explain to you like, kind of like what was going through his mind and, uh, you know, why he ultimately decided to give you a chance? He, he didn't really, but, um, you know, his, his business manager who's was a lot more talkative, uh, was able to explain that he believed in giving people second chances. And he's just like, he had this faith in humanity (laughs) and, um, and it was awesome. I mean, it it was, I, I didn't perform very well. I, I mean, I don't think I was the best toner sales person he's ever had, but at the same time, it was like, for me, it, it gave me a level of stability in a job. And, um, and also kind of like a shot, like some people will give you a chance. Um, it's just a numbers game like sales, you know, it's just a numbers game. You're not going to hit a home run every time. Um, and I've stacked the odds against me, uh, you know, by my own doing. And I, I accept that. And it's just a matter of applying the law of large numbers, um, a little bit more aggressively than, than the next guy. So, um, you know, from him to, I, I worked there for about six months and, and my goal was to become a copier salesperson. And he, he gave me a chance in, in toner, but he really didn't want me going and, uh, you know, talking to potential clients in person. Um, mm. even though I showed up on time and, and dressed well and everything, it was just, and I, I understand. So when it, this copier company I, I worked with before actually wanted me to come back and they knew all about my background and, uh, they wanted me to do outside sales and, uh, you know, I got a car and I moved to uh, Simi Valley where I live right now and took that position. And, um, you know, I, I did that for about 17 months and it, it was, it was a good learning experience, but I, it, one thing it taught me is I didn't want to stay in that industry. Yeah. So, um, but it w- it was the owner of, you know, a successful small business and he essentially took me under his wing and I, I knew him from before, but I never worked with him that closely before. So I had the privilege of working directly under a sex, a successful owner who, um, had equivalent to a, a master's degree in business education wise, but he also had 40 years of, you know, real world experience that, um, you know, was just phenomenal. And I did, you know, I would take notes while he was talking and I'd, I'd go home and Wikipedia like cash flow and, and, mm-hmm. you know, all these different terms that I haven't heard before. And it was such a, a turn on, I guess, to hear these people talk like this uh, and, and speak with me on, on the same level, uh, because I wasn't feeling like inmate wrath anymore. Right. I was, Oh, I'm, I'm becoming a business person right now. Like this is really exciting, you know, like, and, uh, so that, that was, that was really cool. Um, you know, I, I learned a lot under him and really appreciate everything he's done for me. And talk a little bit about that transition that you're making now. I know you're on the journey. And, uh, in fact, even though Leonard had recommended you and, you know, uh, you were still kind of like, you're 
you, you were very gracious. You said, you know, hey, I'm still on the journey. And, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, you know, I just want you to know that, you know, and I appreciated the message. And I, but I think it's very important for moving forward listeners, not only to hear from our guests who have, you know, quote unquote, reached a certain level of success, but also from people who are on the journey who are rebuilding their lives. So talk a little bit about what you're doing now, Dan, and share with yeah. our listeners, uh, you know, kind of, what is what is on your plate right now and what are what are your vision what is your vision for what you want your life to be yeah it's um i'm on an interesting journey i i was kind of pushed into entrepreneurship it wasn't anything i really aspired for it, uh, my goal because i do like the easy route was um to work in a business where I could gain equity and kind of live like the Don Draper lifestyle of wear suits and take naps at 3 p.m. And um, that really appealed to me and it still kind of does appeal to me. But um, after I left the copier company, I helped my brother-in-law jumpstart his social media consulting firm. And I I went in as sales and really just started absorbing as much as I can. And we were able to grow his his company from, you know, zero dollars in December to June, I think it was almost at 20 grand a month. And that's great. And and had you had had any experience with social media before? Or was this kind of like Um, you were just really kind of learning as as you were going along? I had some experience. I mean, even getting out of getting out of prison and working at the copier job, uh, my brother in law, he's He's a, a pretty big social media influencer uh, on Facebook, and he would give me uh, some Facebook pages to manage that, you know, smaller pages of his. So one was like 100,000 and one was like 300,000 fans. And I would just post content on that and just, um, you know, learn a little bit more about the channel. I'd, I'd get to look at the analytics, and that was really exciting. And um, so I was doing that off and on uh, for a while, and then. He was also, um, he knows how to like monetize Facebook pages very well. So, you know, I, I helped him build, uh, I guess like a publisher site, uh, for monetization. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Now, now I know, but, um, you know, that, that was, that kind of got me a taste. And then when he was telling me how he wanted to start his consulting and kind of transition into more of an agency, I, um, I started consuming as much as I could about uh, social media, and thankfully, it's it's relatively new. And you know, Facebook tweaks their algorithm so much. Um, you know, I got a taste of the good old days when you could like, you know, make things go viral and see exponential growth with little effort. Um, so I, I've been able to experience a little bit of that. But um, you know, moving forward, I, I get to see. You know, I was able to learn a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I helped him up till June, mid June. And I realized that I'd kind of, I want to do this. And it, he and I had different, um, paths. I really wanted to aim for, um, smaller, not small businesses, but I, I wanted to help, you know, businesses with zero web presence or really crappy web presence, uh, build theirs. And, you know, with my level of expertise, I'm fully capable of doing that. It's um, and and he's on a, on a whole different tier. So we decided to kind of he gave me some startup money and and uh, kind of pointed me in the right direction. And then uh, I've been 
you know, working on building my personal business right now. And, and it's been tough because yeah. I, I have a learning curve, um, ahead of me. I mean, I, I am not qualified to get a job in the social media industry by nine to five standards. You know, I don't have two to three years experience. I don't have a college degree. Um, you know, my experience working with my brother-in-law, I mean, like, was consulting playmates with 2 million fans on how to monetize their Facebook page mm-hmm. and how to grow and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's not anything where, you know, the copier businesses of the world, <laughs> when they're looking for a social media coordinator, if they are, um, you know, that's not something you really show them. So, so I had to like, I didn't have the case studies, but I, I knew that I could do this. So I started building case studies. Um, you know, I, I just had to, just last night I was thinking like, I kind of feel like I'm trying to foot, fit a square peg in a round hole, yeah. but you know, if, if you, you pound at it hard enough, <laughs> you can make it fit. I don't know if that's efficient or if it's stubborn or what, but you know, I really do enjoy this space and I've had some really fun, exciting experiences, um, and I'm really into marketing. Uh, influencing consumer behavior is a huge fascination of mine. Yeah. So, and how has that been? I mean, building a business. I mean, you know, have you found that challenging in terms of, you know, getting to know people? And then, like you said, if you Google your name, it's it's uh, your past comes up. I mean, how has that been? And talk with, uh, you know, talk with moving forward listeners. Like, what what made you want to come on today and share your story? Yeah. Um, it's it's an interesting experience. So I, I think I, I think I emailed you and I, I said like you know I'm I'm not a success story today on the materialistic side. So I mean some people might say success. Well, he hasn't like you know drank alcohol or or ruined his life or robbed any banks. So that's successful to I guess some you know to people in prison that's success. But um, by the status quo. Um, you know, I have some unre- some pretty high goals, and um, like even today, I didn't think I, I would fit on your show because like I live in a shed in a crazy lady's backyard. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to start like a social media agency, like through at the public library because <laughs> because like the Wi-Fi doesn't come through the tin roof and, and it gets like 105 degrees inside when it's a hundred degrees outside. So, you know, uh, just like those things right there, um, you know, it's, it's tough. And then also, like you said, if somebody Googles my name deals over, so it's, there's a lot of like hope and (laughs) prayer and finger crossing and just like, you know, and, and one thing I, I've done too is um, I've I've worked for some people for free to establish credibility, um, and I really you know focus on trying to build relationships and and I I've always had like a strong background and I believe in customer service so like you know I that's a big part of like my belief system is if you take care of the customer and the customer will take care of you so. That, that's something I've really focused on is if I could just establish value and show them before they find out that I'm a convicted bank robber, um, they might stick with me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
you know, and it, I, I don't know how much business I, I missed out because somebody Googled my name and if, if they do, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, I've only been asked once in, in all the uh, different discussions I had about my background and the guy didn't even have a budget, so it didn't matter. Right. <laughs> so, And Dan, tell our listeners sort of what is next for you? What's on the horizon for you? I know that you're on the journey now. You're you're building your business, you're writing this new chapter and, you know, any, any upcoming projects or anything you'd like to share with our listeners. Also uh, share with our listeners how they can connect with you if they'd like to learn more about you and your work. Yeah. Um, right now things are interesting because I, you know, I say that a lot. Uh, things are interesting. That's well, um, good. good to have things being interesting, you know, they, they are, you know, it, it, I am constantly outside of my comfort zone. And I mean, even in living in a shed, uh, you know, I, I end up in meetings in like Beverly Hill penthouses. I ended up, uh, at one of Ty Lopez's parties. And I think that was thanks to Leonard. And, um, so I'm connecting with amazing people and it is, and, and I'm connecting with people that I want to be more like. And I, I think just through osmosis, uh, that opens up doors. Um, you know, it, it took a couple months for me to even like get $500 together in, in, in social media funds from potential clients. And then just last week alone, I signed three people on and, you know, I, I'm going to be paying myself more than my salary when I worked with my brother-in-law. So oh, congratulations. it's, yeah, thank you. And it, it's just like, they say like entrepreneurship, you jump off a cliff and you learn how to fly on the way down. Or, um, Steve Harvey had a, uh, a, a little video where it's like you jump off a cliff and you have to wait, you know, because your parachute's going to open. And I think it was just sometime about a week or 10 days ago or something where I started feeling my parachute open. And I'm like, I could do this. Like I, I could, I, I know I can do this and you know, I might not do it as well as everybody else, but I, um, I'll learn, you know, I, I, when I work out, I'm listening to audiobooks on, uh, you know, marketing strategy, content, um, advertising. So, I mean, I am, I'm learning exponentially as I go and I'm learning how to fly on the way down. And, you know, I, you know, it's not easy, but no. it's definitely, uh, a learning curve and an, an exciting one. And I, I've met some very, very cool, uh, major influencers in the digital space that I think, you know, a lot of people refer to and read blogs and, um, you know, the fact that those people know who I am and engage with me is, uh, a total honor, yeah. you know, even getting on this podcast, I'm like, wow, this is really exciting. You know, I, I should not be here. You know, I should be washing dishes somewhere. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for sharing your story, Dan. I, it's not easy to, to share something like that and to, to do so, so publicly. But, um, again, for our listeners who, who want to make a connection with you, what's the best way they can reach out? Uh, they could email or just visit my, uh, my website. It's, uh, my last name, R A A F dot L A as in Los Angeles. And I live just North of LA, but it's close enough. And my email is Dan at raf dot L A. And we'll have all of that on the website. Dan, I want to thank you so much for coming on moving forward today and sharing your story and being so candid and for, uh, you know, sharing, sharing your experiences so that our listeners can, can learn from you and also be inspired to move forward. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it's, 
definitely an honor. I appreciate that. And it's, you know, it's neat to have somebody like Leonard even refer me somewhere because he knows a little bit about my background. And I'm like, wow, Leonard, <laughs> why would you even let people know you know me? But, you know, well, it, Leonard's, it's, a, Leonard's a very, very unique guy. And a referral and a recommendation from Leonard goes a long way. So you're in very good company. Yeah, I'm, those are the kind of people I'm trying to hang out with more. And, and I've been fortunate enough too. So it's, uh, you know, I think that's where a lot of my success is going to be, uh, you know, springboarded off is, uh, you know, just connecting with these really cool influencers and, and, and business people that I aspire to be like. Well, thanks again, Dan. Appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. Moving forward, listeners, what a powerful story. I want to share something with you. As we talked about on today's episode, I was introduced to Dan through Leonard Kim, who I also had on the show. And it was an email introduction. I got the email on an early Saturday morning. And as Dan shared, the title of the email was Bank Robber Wants to Go on Your Podcast. Now, when I first read that, my reaction was, well, this must be a joke. Leonard must be pulling my leg on a Saturday morning. But then I read the email and I read Dan's story. And I'll admit, I had some hesitancy about this, uh, about having Dan on the show. I traded a couple of emails with Dan. And as you heard on the episode, Dan had some hesitancy about coming on the show as well. He listened to a couple of episodes and he wasn't sure that he felt worthy to be a guest on this show. And I realized two things. Number one, Dan's story is as important to share as any of the guests that we've had on Moving Forward. The purpose of this show is to inspire you, Moving Forward listeners, to make choices, to realize that no matter what setbacks, failures, or roadblocks that you face in your life or in your career, you can make a choice, and you can pivot, and you can move forward. And that's exactly what Dan's doing. He's in the middle of doing that right now, and he has to face... Lots of challenges in doing so. It's not an easy journey. The other thing I realized is that the hesitancy I felt just from an email about a podcast interview, that's something that Dan has to deal with every single day. I mean, he shared a little bit of that uh, in the interview today. It was awfully brave of him to come on this show and to take ownership of the story and to tell it so candidly. And that's the whole point. You know, he's getting out of his comfort zone. I got out of my comfort zone. And I hope you'll get out of your comfort zone. I hope you'll be inspired by this interview to make a choice, to pivot, to move forward. I encourage you, check out Dan's story at bemovingforward.com. Remember, you can also follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And join us next Tuesday for another extraordinary guest. Get out of your comfort zone, make a choice, pivot, and move forward. Now it's time for you to move forward and unlock the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and Bali Solutions, LLC. All rights reserved.